Welcome back to the Grazia Life Advice Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you're doing okay and you're getting into the Christmas spirit. This week, we are getting life advice from a businesswoman, the founder of the UK's largest chain of Indian restaurants and a Dragon's Den investor. Hi, I'm Sarah Whittingham. I'm an entrepreneur and ex-investor from BBC Dragon's Den and I'm this week's guest on Grazia Life Advice Podcast. Sarah talks to me about her love of cocktails, the benefits of imposter syndrome and keeping people around you who will point out any mistakes that you're about to make. Very useful advice. And I know there's loads of stuff I'm really not good at, but now I know I either hire those people if my business is big enough and can can afford it, or I make sure that they're around me. She also tells us about going on great adventures with her kids and discovering, for the first time ever, how it actually felt to be calm. Five years ago, I took my kids out of school for a year and went off travelling around the world. And that was the best thing I've ever done in my life. And during that year, the adrenaline left my system. The feeling of not having it in your system is so liberating. The headspace that I suddenly had... One of my favourite parts of this conversation is Sarah's story about a Japanese Daruma doll, which, no, I had never heard of either. But it's uh, something that has taught her how to focus on what truly matters in life and not to keep shifting the goalposts of success. 20-odd years ago, I was living in Tokyo and the staff in the restaurant that I'd just opened all bought me this lovely little doll tiny little wooden round uh, red doll and it has two eyes on it so this is the important bit as they give you the doll they wish you fulfillment and at the moment when you envisage what fulfillment looks like you color in the left eye of the doll it was so good to talk to sarah and to hear some of her excellent business and life advice i really hope you enjoyed the episode as much as i did Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grazia Life Advice podcast. I am super interested to hear all of your words of wisdom. Um, But before we get into that, how have you been? What are you up to and how are you feeling? Good, actually. Um, Nervous, surrounded by uh, everybody dropping like flies at the moment with COVID uh, all over the place. I was very nervous listening to Boris's announcement this week. But yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling very optimistic for 2022. I started a new business in 2021, which was buying up lots of chains of cocktail bars, late night bars, which was a bit counter cyclical. And everybody thought we'd gone barking mad when we came up with the idea a year ago. Um, but we managed to float it at the beginning of this year. And so yeah, I'm, I'm feeling very good about 2022. I think people are going to want to go out and have a really good time. Definitely. What's your cocktail of choice? I'm margarita at the moment. Yeah, Tommy's margarita. Yeah, I know. I do. I must admit, I do go from different through different drinks, but I'm definitely in a margarita phase at the moment. Tommy's margarita, which is your standard margarita recipe, but without the triple sec. Lovely. I think it's super classy to have one drink that you just always order, so you don't even look at the cocktail menu. You just have a signature drink. I think that's that's my piece of life advice (laughs) I should have had that shouldn't I have your that should have been one of my pieces of advice know which cocktail so wherever you walk into everybody knows what to serve you exactly and they just say the usual Miss Jeffs yes "Yes." um (laughs) fantastic well your first piece of actual advice for us today is to be kind to yourself um 
I'm interested in what this means to you because obviously we hear it kind of quite a lot in the media and on Instagram and as a kind of inspirational message. But, you know, talking really personally, how has it resonated for you in your life? Yeah, this is um, something I've learned recently to become very good at, actually. I think I talked about it in the past and realise now in hindsight, I wasn't particularly good at it. I think a lot of people who strive for success and however we define success is very personal, but I'm such a perfectionist to, based on my own standards. And so I, I'm, I'm not so kind to myself because I'm always giving myself more feedback, areas for development. How could I have done that better? Am I the best version of myself when I'm being a mom? Am I, am I the best wife I could be? Am I the best friend I could be? Am I the best at work? Am I performing correctly? When I look back at how I've been with myself over the last few years, well, I guess 25 years really, since I started working and probably even before that, my life's always been full of areas for development where I thought I've wanted to learn from something and how I could do it better. And earlier this year, I very sadly lost my oldest, dearest soulmate that we'd been best friends since we were five years old. And that took me into a place of real deficit that I've actually never been in before, ever in my life. And it made me realize that in order to rebalance myself, I didn't just have to try and get back to zero. I had to build the same level of surplus as what I'd lost in the deficit. And in order to do that, I knew I was going to have to do something different. And, and actually, a lot of these pieces of advice are that I'm going to talk about over the next half an hour are things that I've really, really taken on board to heart this year and that have really worked for me. And one of those is to be kind to myself. So it could be anything from stop weighing yourself, stop feeling guilty about having the digestive biscuit in the evening, uh, stop questioning how good I am at something because actually I am great and reminding myself that I am a great friend and I am a great mom and I am a great wife and actually I do the absolute best I can at work and it's become so natural now like I've really taken this on board it's been six months and I am really happy and I'm definitely built up a surplus to counterbalance that deficit that I had at the beginning of the year. I mean, of course, you know, there's always a long way to go. It's a deep loss. But being kind to myself, to me, means not giving yourself a hard time for maybe not being the best you could be at that moment yeah. or did you perform perfectly. It's actually about reminding yourself that you're great and you're always doing a good job and you're always doing the best you possibly can. And... I found myself becoming very good at it and it's helped me in so many ways this year. Mm. Where do you think that that sort of relentless self-criticism or, you know, judging how you're doing at every stage of everything, where do you think that came from originally for you? I think the same place as my drive comes from or my need to push my boundaries or try and try new things and try and just wanting to be great basically at whatever it is that I do. My parents didn't put any pressure on me at all. So it certainly didn't come from, you know, my upbringing. I just think I was born with that need to 
if I want to do anything, just make sure you give it a really good go. You know, mm. I don't, I think the opposite of, of great or love or any of these wonderful emotions or feelings is in fact indifference. Mm. The one thing I never want to be is indifferent. So whenever I find myself indifferent to something, I just don't do it. I just move on. I'm not, I, I'm, I couldn't, I'm just not interested. But when I want to do something and I commit, I give a hundred percent. And I think when you, when you have that in you and you want to be the best version of yourself at every single thing that you put your, your effort to, I think that can be quite, you can be quite tough on yourself. Mm. Sarah, thanks. Can you tell us um, your second piece of advice? So my next piece of advice is actually a piece of advice that I was given in the context of work in my mid-twenties. A guy I'm still very, very close to, a lot older than me. Um, He's in my phone as Yoda, which is a great start, (laughs) I think. Um, But is surround yourself with brilliant people. And again, this sounds like a really just a generic piece of really good advice that lots of people say, but what does it really mean? Um, And to me, it means two things. And firstly, let me talk about the work context. And it's really important in the work context. So I talk about this a lot with people that are just doing in startups, they've just started their business, or they're just starting to grow their business. And they don't know which way to turn. And they don't know it as they're walking towards a large hole, they need somebody to stand there and say, hang on, it's a really big hole, walk around it here. And I think well, a lot of us can be very, very, a lot of people can be very surprised that actually when you knock on doors and ask people for help, they will give it to you and it is there. And there's a lot of people going through the same challenges at that early stage in the business that you are. I, mean, I can't tell you the amount of people I have the same conversation with um, in that early stage of starting a business. And it can be often so often it's a confidence thing and if you can surround yourself with people that are good at what you're not good at that's the recipe for success and one of the things in business is that importance of your of the self-awareness and understanding that you know what it's okay to not be great at everything it really is and I know there's loads of stuff I'm really not good at but now I know I either hire those people if my business is big enough and can can afford it, or I make sure that they're around me. And then in my personal life, it's equally as important. So I think a lot of us can still have maybe toxic relationships in our life, whether it can be friendships or personal at home. But it's about making sure that those people in your life reinforce your brilliance. Yes, of course, they're there to help and steer you in the right direction in your personal life and give you that unconditional love and feedback if you need it. But it's about people that help you to be the best version of yourself, whether it's in work or your personal life, and those people that bring you up. And I can't tell you how important this is in not just in my life, in anybody that I know, this is one of the most important things um, in our lives are those people that do make you feel better about yourself, that do want you to be the best version of yourself. Do you have any advice to somebody who's maybe listening and is feeling like there's someone in their life 
or their professional life that is just not doing what you've just said and is kind of bringing them down or is creating issues. Um, Just practically, how do you either get rid of that person from your life or change something about your relationship that's that's so toxic i think you have two two options one is you kill them with kindness and two is you move on so the killing them with kindness is one option where you sit down and you say this is how it is making me feel this is the impact that it's having on my life you can turn people around people can change they might be doing it because of something awful that's happening in their life and actually talking about it and being open, you can help each other. And that's great. That's obviously the best outcome. But if there are still some people that you can't help or just your chemistry isn't right together, and those people which you've tried plan A, plan B is that toxicity will only get worse the more they're in your life, is to find a way of getting them out of your life in some way. And that's, you know, there are a thousand different iterations of that. Your third piece of advice is about creating headspace. How do you do this in your incredibly busy professional and personal life? This is a big challenge for me. I'm quite fierce about it, actually, because I'm an adrenaline junkie. I live off the excitement of anything. It can be a deal, it can be a roller coaster, it could be anything at all. And I fuel off that and I feel great when I have adrenaline in my system. But I've also learned five years ago, I took my kids out of school for a year and went off traveling around the world. And that was the best thing I've ever done in my life. And during that year, the adrenaline left my system. And that's the first time in my life that I properly didn't have the adrenaline in my wow. system. How did you know that? Did you just sort of oh, sit on a beach one day and we just noticed it? It took months. The feeling of not having it in your system is so liberating. The headspace that I suddenly had, I thought slower in a good way, was much more reflective, listened better, responded more thoughtfully felt a lot more of what was happening in a moment, uh, was able to really take in my surroundings in any given minute. And I was like, oh my God, I've spent my life wired, actually. So I now try to manage the adrenaline in my system. I'm not brilliant at it. I will hold my hand up and say I'm not great at it, especially since I, I ended up living abroad for three years and went to live in the mountains So it was really, really brilliant. But since I've come back to the UK, the UK conspires to fuel you with adrenaline. And uh, it's doing a pretty good job, actually, at the moment. But I try very, very hard to do the things that I know work very well for my headspace. And one of those is exercise. And the other one is nature. Being out in nature reminds me of my kind of place in the world, really the insignificance. You know, you walk through a mountain or a a big like fields and they've been there a lot longer than you have and they've seen a lot more than you have and they give me a lot of perspective. I breathe deeper and slower because I find when I'm in a city and fueled with adrenaline, my breath is shorter. It doesn't go all the way deep into my tummy 
I diarise every week a three-hour nature walk. So I actually just get out and and find that headspace. But every single day, I usually take one day off a week. I do some form of exercise. Um, most of the time, I start my day with that exercise. And it's just very important for my own, I call it headspace, because it's the moment when my mind is free to wander. And it's when my mind is free to wander that I don't feel so sort of pumped full of adrenaline. But I still get out and try and get into the sea when I can, or just, again, be in something that's bigger than me, which is nature. Lovely. I so relate to that. And I so relate to that feeling of adrenaline in your body, especially having a young kid. I feel like Mm. most of my adrenaline comes from being like so on edge about her the whole time (laughs) that she's going to like have a meltdown or like, you know, scream or cry or she's tired or she needs something. And it's just like this constant like level of like tension. And I've just realized recently as she's got a bit older that I'm like, oh, it's getting easier. I don't feel that level of like, absolute sick stress in my stomach the whole time how old is she she's three now okay since she turned three like everything's just sort of getting easier the tantrums have stopped and I think it's tantrums like that sense that any minute there's going to be this massive like explosion it's just so stressful it's like having a ticking time bomb with you at all times and as you say it's only you know just to notice the absence of that adrenaline is so powerful. Yeah. And I think having gone to that place where I, it properly left my system, I'm glad I have that memory, if that makes sense, because I now, like, what well, I do not get back to there, you know, just to say very clearly, I do not get back to there every week, but I do get back to there much quicker on a holiday than I ever have before. Having now gone back, it's a bit like a muscle memory you know, I've now exercised it, my body, my soul, my brain, my head, whatever they, it recognizes it. So I'm able to find it again, a lot quicker. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of saves my sanity almost, but you're, you're definitely coming into the honeymoon period of babies between sort of, I reckon it's about four or five to 13 is bliss great yeah fingers <laughs> crossed <laughs> we're just gonna jump to a quick ad break but we will be right back with sarah willingham and we are back with entrepreneur extraordinaire sarah willingham who has been sharing some of her life advice with us um here on the podcast today so we're going to talk about your fourth piece of advice which is actually to embrace imposter syndrome. And I'm really interested in this take on it because we often hear imposter syndrome talked about as something very negative that we all suffer from. But actually, I'm super interested to hear your your view on it. So the first thing about imposter syndrome is everyone suffers from it. Most Well, most people suffer from it, I should say. And we all get it. And you know what? It's okay because it means we're pushing our boundaries. We're outside of our comfort zone. We're doing something new and it's okay. One of the things I have learned is that embracing that imposter syndrome can be a real superpower. When you go into a situation where you're like, this is it. This is, you know, I'm on the phone to my mom. Mom, this is where they're going to find me out. 
definitely, this is the one. This is definitely the one. She'd be like, no, you've been saying that for 20 years now, our Sarah. Um, So when you go into something which is outside of your comfort zone, firstly, enjoy that feeling. It's scary, but know that once you've done it, all that happens is your comfort zone expands. And next time you do it, you're not scared anymore. And that's a really incredibly empowering feeling that we have. And I think often you can look at imposter syndrome. I mean, I've walked into meetings in the past where I have been so unbelievably underestimated, especially in my 20s and early 30s. And I have felt like I was an imposter, but actually I'm pretty sure a lot of other people in the room also felt that I was an imposter. And it's became a superpower because I always use this phrase where you you say nobody sees the rhino coming. Nobody ever sees the rhino coming because they're massive and they look so big and nobody thinks a rhino can run. (laughs) And yet the rhino's the fastest and you need to be scared of a rhino, but nobody ever sees him coming. I say this to so many young women. You know, if you walk into a room and it's full of men and it's full of suits and you feel, you feel inferior or you feel judged, allow it to be your superpower. Put your lip gloss on, stand up tall and be great at the stuff that you're good at. You're the one that will walk out of that room with what you want because the entire room has underestimated you. And imposter syndrome is something that keeps our feet on the ground, but it means that we're doing something that scares us. and That's okay. And I think it's great because you then do it. You're not scared of it anymore. And next time you do it, you remind yourself, oh, last time I did this, I had imposter syndrome. I haven't anymore. And it's, it is one of the most empowering things. So that's it for me is embrace it, go with it, enjoy it, relish in it, become good at it and look back and remember the things actually that you were scared of mm. because you're not anymore. Mm. I love that. What is your fifth piece of advice? This is a bit random, but it's one of my favorite stories. So it's get a Daruma doll. Oh, okay. I wondered, I was reading that and I wondered how it was going to, I wondered if it was going to be a drama doll. So I, uh, God, how long ago now? This is 20 odd years ago. I um, was living in Tokyo. The staff in uh, the restaurant that I just opened all bought me this lovely little doll. I'll show you a picture, but you, nobody else can see it, but you can see it. There you go. Okay, it's a little wooden... Tiny little wooden round uh, red doll and it has two eyes on it. Yeah. So this is the important bit. As they give you the doll, Mm -hmm. they wish you fulfilment. You take the doll and you thank them very much and you start to envisage what does fulfilment look like. So this was in, so what was it, 22 years ago when I was given mine. And... At the moment when you envisage what fulfillment looks like, you colour in the left eye of the doll. There's two eyes. You colour in the left eye with black pen. And you kind of stick a pin in it and you say, right, I don't mean physically stick a pin in the doll. I mean stick a pin in life. And you put a stake down and you say, you know what? If that will will give me fulfillment, if I have all of that, Everything after that is a bonus. And I think one of the things that we're very guilty of 
certainly in the Western world, is moving the goalposts and forgetting the dreams that we had 20 years ago. And the beautiful thing about this doll is at the moment of you colouring in your left eye, you capture what really matters to you in your soul. And I had three things which I'm very happy to share. I wanted to meet somebody that I wanted to share my life with. I wanted to be a mum. Now, I wanted four kids, but in all honesty, three had to be a bonus because I just wanted to be a mum. And I wanted to achieve success in inverted commas in something that I set out to achieve success in. So it could be anything like if I wanted to do gymnastics, I wanted to be great at it, win an award. As it happened, I was doing business at the time and I wanted to kind of see something full circle, start something, exit something. That was my definition of success. That was it. And I said, you know what? Yes, of course, I want to own a house and all this other stuff. But really, if I if I could do that, I'm fulfilled and everything after that is a bonus. So it took me quite a while to colour in my left eye. And then life goes on, years pass by, and this little doll sits on your shelf and you keep looking at it. So you've got one eye coloured in. And at some point, you have to acknowledge, hopefully, that you're there and you colour in the right eye. And at some point, you colour in the right eye and you say, you know what? I have everything that at my core I needed. Those three things are really important to me. It doesn't, you don't stop your ambition. It doesn't mean you don't want more or, you know, I didn't want more children or still didn't want to do other stuff in business. I wanted to give back. There's lots of different things that I wanted to do. But actually, at that moment, I said, you know what? Everything from now on has to be a bonus. This was when I collared in my left eye. And about six months after I had Minnie, my first baby, I just got up in the middle of the night and coloured in my right eye, went back to bed. It's a complete non-event. Wow, I love that. Complete non-event. And went to woke up the following morning and was like, I coloured in my right eye. And I can't tell you how powerful it was. And it's never left me, that feeling of, well, it's all a bonus now. Because I, you know, I, I'm a mum. I had did meet somebody that I wanted to share the rest of my life with. And I just sold um, the Bombay Bicycle, Bicycle Club, which is my first sort of big business thing that I did. Um, and I just sold it successfully. And I'm like, that doll had such an enormous impact on me because it made me put a stick in the ground. I think that's, I mean, how can we get our hands on one? I'm sure they're available on uh, on the internet, but I'm so into that. Yeah, I'm so into that because you're right. You know, you are always striving for the next thing and the next thing rather than just taking stock of what you have achieved and how you've fulfilled. Yes, I've given them to quite a few people yeah. and I always say to them, really think about the left eye like they people can take months people can take over a year to color in the left eye but when they do it they do it it took my husband uh years my it was like only three or four years ago that he colored in his right eye it got to a point where I was like what's wrong with our life why have <laughs> yeah, you colored you in your right looking eye at it on the shelf <laughs> wondering what more he wants 
<laughs> exactly. Why aren't you fulfilled yet? Um, anyway, it's I, it sounds Amazing. probably sounds bonkers I've to anybody. So no, it doesn't at all. It's brilliant, and I love that culturally it exists. It's fantastic. Um, yes. Your sixth piece of advice is to eat a great breakfast. Tell me what a great yes. breakfast is in the Willington household. So this is the only control I often have over my kids' diet and also our diet. Because I think as the day progresses, we all get weaker and weaker and weaker, but we all wake up usually feeling a lot stronger than you than you feel at six o'clock in the evening. So I'm like, right, whilst it's going well, nail it. Like have all the supplements you can possibly take, get those green juices and green smoothies down you, ginger shots, the lot. So we start our morning, all six of us, with an amazing breakfast. I load up the protein, vegetables, eggs, juices, smoothies, loads of supplements, the whole lot. And I think to myself, you know what? If they get horrible food at school and we end up snacking for our dinner, or if I end up having a drink at six o'clock in one of our cocktail bars, or I skip lunch, you know what? I have started the day so well. So I at least so I always just say to myself, just while I'm feeling great, start the day brilliantly, because you know that as the day progresses, it tends to go wrong. It does for me anyway, especially working in cocktail bars. I'm always getting asked out for lunch or I'm always doing something. And I tend, you know, by that also that four or five o'clock slump where you're like, I just want a piece of chocolate or a yeah. chocolate finger. And you, you think, oh, you know what? It won't matter because I've exercised today. I've done this, that and the other. If I start the day with exercise and a fantastic breakfast, I kind of think, you know what? day fill your boots yeah I've got this yeah I love that so that's, that's my great. yeah eat a great breakfast now your worst piece of advice if you could could tell us about what this is please Sarah yeah so I actually really struggled to think about what the um worst piece of advice is and I'll probably think of about 10 different brilliant ones um later on but the one that I remember um and I think this has happened to me on a number of occasions in my life, and I hope that this resonates with anybody listening, is when people say, no, you should do this, think of how many people would cut their right arm off to have that opportunity. And if I think the amount of times that somebody has said that to me in my life, and they're so wrong, we should never, ever judge anybody else's journey by looking at what anybody else out there is doing. We have no idea what is right. I don't know what's right for you, just like you don't know what's right for me. And just because it's right for everybody else does not mean it's right for you. And your parents will say it to you. Your best friends will say it to you. But actually, if there's something that you feel is right for you, just because it's right for everybody else doesn't make it right for you. So follow what you want to do. Don't follow somebody else's path basically mm. i think there's that whole plot line in devil wears prada about um her getting the dream job and it being the job that a million girls would kill for or something and um actually you know realizing that it wasn't the right job for her sorry i'm deep diving into a very niche devil wears prada reference here but um... <laughs> <laughs> i like it though it's really good we'll go but actually it. one of the exact one of the examples I was thinking of was was about a job offer. So when I finished my MBA, 
they we'd had lots of big businesses trying to co- contacted the school of management to um sort of headhunt people really and i ended up getting offered an amazing job great salary all i mean literally like yes lots of people would cut off their right arm to do it was a great job but i had gone to do an mba because i wanted to have my own business I wanted to have the largest chain of Indian restaurants in the UK. This is what I wanted to do. But quite naturally, I'd ended up being, I guess, flattered, sort of pushed down this route, which everybody else was going on, which is to go and work for a really large corporate and all shiny lights and big packages. And it's all really great. And we'll pay your student debt and blah, blah, blah. And to the point where I I actually had a contract from them and my mum had told the neighbours. I mean, it was it was happening. That's right? it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's it. So you know, she told the neighbours this was it. And thank God, before I signed the contract, I went on holiday for a week. Again, this is this adrenaline leaving your system advice. And I just sort of day four or five sat bolt upright on my sunbed and went, "What the hell are you doing?" This is ridiculous. This is not why you came. I went back, turned it down, went back to live with my mom with no salary, nothing for six months. My mom was like, what? She just couldn't. I was 30 30 at the time. Could you imagine? Didn't earn a penny. I just finished my MBA. No job. Turned down a great job. And I was like, no, mom, I really want to have the largest chain of Indian restaurants in the UK. She just thought I'd gone back in the spare room, gone barking mad. But it took a lot of confidence to do that. But it was also, I had to do it. I had to try it. I was okay to fail trying, but I didn't want to fail before it even started. And one of the people from the School of Management, when I told them that I'd turned down the job, could not believe it. He was aghast. He just said, Uh, do you have any idea how many other students in your year would have cut off their right arm to be given that opportunity? And I'll never forget it being said to me because I felt so guilty at the time, but they weren't offered the job and they did try and they weren't offered it and it wasn't my path. Yeah. It really wasn't. And I'm so glad I took the path that I took. Yeah. Well, Sarah, it's been so good to talk to you and thank you so much for all of your words of wisdom and your advice and inspiration. I'll certainly be, well, for a start, rethinking my breakfast (laughs) ritual, um, the croissant (laughs) that I just ate in the queue for my booster jab this morning. It does not cut the mustard. So um, thank you so much and I wish you all the best with all of your um, future projects and hopefully see you on our television screens again soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's Grazia Life Advice podcast. And thank you also to the amazing Sarah Willingham for sharing her wisdom with us. Make sure to share this episode with any entrepreneurs or fledgling business people in your life or anyone who you think would just enjoy the show. They'll be sure to thank you when they've made their millions. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.